visiting my friend Ron Tyson. I drove up to Cape on Friday afternoon and um, just led him to the Lord. We went all the way through grade school and high school, played ball together. We went to college together and hitchhiked home many times together. Back whenever hitchhiking was in vogue, I don't, I wouldn't do it now. I don't think, but um, it was back whenever uh, we we weren't um, really didn't think anything about getting. Well, we got in, we got, we did get a ride with a drunk, <clears throat> and we got out as soon as possible. We so we, just to let you know that um, we weren't stupid, but um, we were crazy, I guess. But anyhow, I led him to the Lord yesterday. So give God applause for that. I mean, really. <clears throat> He's got a limited time to, to live, but on the other hand, I said, God can heal you, Ron, and, and, but if he doesn't, he said, if he doesn't, it's a, I'll win also. So he, he, after he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So I just want to say thank Jesus for, for doing that. Last week, I spoke about the concept of receiving, and I started out with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, and it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and have a miraculous child um, to who was the father or mother of the Hebrew nation. But there's almost a prerequisite to receiving, uh, to uh, conceiving seed, and that is receiving strength. And if you walk that back, it's by faith she received strength to conceive seed. And so I think there's times in our lives whenever we have to open up the doors of this concept of receiving and, and really recognize that God is giving us everything. He's given us all things freely. Amen? So he wants us to recognize that in John 1, 12, Jesus came to his own, but his own rejected him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave them the right or the power or the privilege to become sons of God. So God wants you to, if you receive Jesus, you've got that power to become sons of God. And then also right after the resurrection, that resurrection evening... Jesus appeared to the 11, uh, well, really to the 10. Thomas wasn't there, and uh, Judas had hung himself already, and so he appeared to the 10 that were in a, in a closed door, and, and he, said, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so this was the very point of time in which they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb because up until then, up until now, and they had not had the ability. They were followers of Christ. They were disciples of Christ and went on to be apostles of Christ, but they had never been born again until this moment, that evening of the resurrection, whenever Jesus breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So how did Sarah receive strength? It was by faith Sarah received strength to conceive seed. So I'm going to read a story in Luke chapter 7. Verses 33 through 50, or 35, 33 through 50, yeah. And I want you to see this. There's, a, there's really four people in this story. There's the Pharisee, there's the sinner, there is Jesus, and then there's Peter. Now, I want you to notice the dialogue and the interaction and the way that Jesus communicates indirectly as well as directly to the people involved in this story. This is really an interesting story, and it's an interesting concept of how Jesus can get our attention. John 7, I'll start reading verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said he's got a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. He's a friend of the tax collectors and the sinners. 
So which one is it? But wisdom is justified by all her children. Then he tells the story. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to come eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, apparently it was a different culture and climate. Anytime a Pharisee, I mean, nowadays you wouldn't, if you weren't invited, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to, she knew that Jesus sat at the table in, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box, a flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped his feet with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. gave them both. Now tell me, Peter, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, he said, I suppose the one that he forgave the most. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now let me stop right there. There's a direct correlation between the forgiveness of of a big sinner and the ability to love because of such the large sin had been forgiven. Now, this is really interesting, so you've got to picture this. Stay with me and follow this closely. Then he turned to the woman. He turned to the woman. He was looking at her, but he said to Simon. He was talking to Simon, but he was looking at the woman. Do you see this woman? And he's still looking at her. I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. So he's basically saying, Peter, you didn't honor me when I came to your house. But this woman honored me whenever she came in and she cried and washed my feet with her tears and dried it with her hair. And then he's still talking now, looking at the woman, talking to Peter. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. No affection. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman who has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, therefore I say to you, I say to you, Peter, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So here he was, he was sort of rebuking Peter. Talk. He's looking at the woman. He says, look, whenever I came to your house, there was no honor. Whenever I came uh, to, your, to your house, there was no affection. You didn't greet me with a kiss. And you, there was no recognition. So where there is no honor, no affections, and no recognition, I tell you what, there is going to be a little receptance. And so you cannot receive if you do not honor and have affection toward God. 
We had prayer here the other morning, and it was just um, Saturday morning, yesterday morning, and it was just a wonderful time. It was just a beautiful flow of the Holy Spirit of which I received something that I'm going to give you in just a second here. But let me just go ahead. And then he says to the lady here, he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith, very thing that Sarah had that Sarah had to receive to be strong, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Simon, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She has loved much, and there was honor, there was affection, there was recognition. Therefore, she had reception of my whole being in her life. And so this is why every one of us, I think that we can become so calloused and we become so religious and we become so uh, used to coming to church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and sometimes we lose that affection. We lose that recognition. We lose that honor for our God. I tell you, it's good to wake up every morning and say, God, I love you. I worship you. I honor you. I acknowledge you in my life. And this is what God wants us to do because then he knows there's going to be some reception to him in our lives. But he says, the second conclusion, but to him whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He's got a little bit of reception, but it's not much. Now, I want you to listen carefully because I'm going to say this same thing two different ways. Many times our past sins can nullify God's love for us. You say, well, how does that happen since God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and I'll tell you, this is how we, this is how we nullify God's love for us by the magnification of our sins above God's love for us. Whenever you begin to magnify your sin, you say, man, I've done this, I've done such a, I've done such a bad job, and, and I've got so many sins in my life. Whenever you magnify those sins above God's grace and God's love for you, then you have just nullified God's power to forgive you and for you to receive him. Now, the reason that is is that whenever you, whenever you recognize that you've got so much sin in your life and you you closed up. You close up and you become introverted and you begin to focus on yourself and not on God who is the Redeemer. You begin to be embarrassed about your sin. And what really happens, we build walls because we are determined not to be hurt again by anybody else. We are not going to be offended one more time. But the walls that we barricade ourselves with, trying to keep others out, keeps us in. So this is why you've got to be very careful when you, whenever you build walls that you don't want to build a wall so high that nobody can get in because you can't get out then. And so God wants you out of that, out of that wall-building cocoon. He wants, you, he wants you to recognize that he has set you free to love people. Now, whenever you say, well, Pastor, how do I handle these offenses? i got a news flash. This is a news alert, not from Fox but from Jerry. Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, you can't get through this life without being offended. It's an impossibility to go through life. I mean, if you've been married for any length of time, you can recognize that, right? Or if you've been in the church any length of time, you can recognize that even within the church or even within friendships. You are going to be offended from time to time. But many times, now I'm going to say this same thing, many times our past sins can nullify or it can activate the reception of God's love for us. It can either nullify or activate the reception of God's love for us. You say, well, pastor, what's the difference? 
It's the reception of forgiveness through faith. Jesus said to the woman the second time that we just talked about, this woman who was a sinner, she said, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I looked up the word saved, and it means your faith has protected you. It has delivered you. It has healed you. It has catapulted you into another dimension. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that word was not shalom. That word is irene, which means go in peace, go in wholeness, go in rest, go in confidence, go in quietness, go in tranquility, and go with, and whatever that also means, it means your exemption from the havoc of rage of war or conflict. God wants you to, you're exempted from that. You don't have to be involved with every little sin that you've committed, the consequences or the results of that. God says you've been delivered from that. And not only that, but you have harmony with yourself and with God and with others. There's peace. Irene. That's what that word is. Irene. Now, there had to be the reception of the forgiveness from this sinful lady in order for her to go forward in wholeness and rest and forgiveness and quietness and tranquility. There had to be, she had to receive that from Jesus. But before she received it, she had to give something. There was honor. There was acknowledgement. And there was also a recognition that God, that this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sitting right in her presence. And, even, and she knew she was a sinner, but she came and she, she acknowledged him. <clears throat> and she gave him, showed him affection. She showed him honor and recognition. And so this is where that we get into a place of finding reception by whenever we honor and acknowledge not only one another, Whenever you, you, you acknowledge one another, you honor one another, and you show affection to one another, this is, then you, you show the reception. You receive. You are accepted in the beloved. Back to Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed. A prerequisite to conceiving seed was receiving strength, and re prerequisite to receiving strength was activating your faith. Many times in the, uh, I said last week that in, in reference to a football receiver, whenever the football receiver was going, I said, number one, you don't just pull a receiver off of the, off of the, high, off of the byways and put them in a ball game. They've got to work out. They've got to work together, run the plays. And the, but whenever the receiver is going out to catch a pass and he's running down the field, many times the ball is already in the air before he gets to the, the intended area of reception. So I want you to know, and I don't know where this is. I think it's in Isaiah 50, 65 or 66. But it says, many times the solution to our problems and answers to our questions are already on the way because God says, before they call, I will answer. Before they call, my answer is already on the way. The ball is already in the air. And so you and I, we have to fight for that area of reception. And what does that area of reception look like? It means it's covered with honor. It's covered with acknowledgement. It's covered with affection. And we come before his presence with thanksgiving. And we recognize he is a good God and he loves us all. Can you say amen? And he wants you to receive everything good from him. But so many times we close up our lives and we say, well, I'm just, I'm just not worthy of that. Well, hello, nobody is. But God wants you to know. The ball is all, the answer is already in the air. All you got to do is you fight for the contend and you contend for the area that the pass is going to land, so you can catch the ball. Now, 
we must get ready to receive strength before the conception of the seed and the answer to our problem. Strength doesn't come through and by the same way all the time. Most of the time, you know, you, you recognize if you're going to gain strength, you've got to get out there and lift weights. You've got to pump the weights and, and build up the muscles. Basically, you tear down muscle before they, the blood can come back into the muscles and, and, uh, and, and, and make them bigger. But this is how you receive strength. One can gain strength either by working or by working out. But I, got, I want to look at a, receiving strength from another way today. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that came against him. And he said, concerning this thing, this thorn, and a thorn could be a messenger from Satan, which it was with him. A thorn could be an adverse situation, or it could be an, an irritation beyond imagination for your life. Or it could be a situation where the devil, listen carefully, is trying to develop a foothold so that eventually he'll develop a stronghold. And that what, that's what happens many times. He, would, he will cause you to be so angry at people and become so belligerent that before long, that's the way you, you continue to react and respond to everyone. So God doesn't want that. There. He wants there to be a peace. He wants there to be a flow of his grace and his mercy in your life. He wants that to flow in your life. And so whenever the devil tries to get a foothold to develop a stronghold, then you get out of balance and he's trying to take you down and take you out. You've got to recognize that. That's the messenger from Satan. He has nothing in common with you. As a matter of fact, the thief comes before to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you'd have life, forgiveness. You'd have abundance. You'd have tranquility. You'd have peace in your life. You wouldn't have, you'd be absent from the chaos of war and rage. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Now concerning this thing, Paul says, I prayed three times that I'd be delivered from this messenger of Satan. But three times, Jesus said to me something. My grace is sufficient. Linda, you heard from God right this morning. My grace is sufficient. And whenever my grace is sufficient means to be possessed with an unfailing strength. I mean, you are going to succeed. So you've got to have that grace in your life because it's sufficient. My strength is, look at this. This is how, another way we gain strength. My strength is made perfect word in my weakness. Isn't that amazing? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. You say, well, that's a contradiction, Pastor. Well, Joel says, let the weak say I'm strong. You've got to begin to recognize and you begin to vocalize what God says you are, not what you feel you may be. So this is where you and I, we've got to recognize. God says, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm not poor anymore. And then you begin, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Then you begin to, to grow into that area. Amen? For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am strengthened to bear calamities. I am strengthened to bear tests and trials and tribulation. And I am fortitude with patience and endurance. God wants you to have patience. Anybody need patience? I've got so much I can give it away. Just kidding. Lord, forgive me. I, that was just a joke. <clears throat> Everybody faces tests and trial. But somebody told me just the other day that patience 
is whenever we recognize God's timing in our life, that there's a time and a season. And so we're not trying to get through us, get through life with us working on our timetable. We're trying to, God's allowing situations to come in your life where patience will work its own perfect work. And you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hallelujah. That's what James says. Let patience have her perfect work. And that also means the, I have the ability to excel in all things. I am strengthened by grace to bear calamities and tests and trials and tribulations and temptations with patience and endurance. And I have the ability to not just get through it, but to excel in everything I'm going through. Isn't that good news? That really is. Now, God's grace is sufficient. Would you all just say that? For me. Not for anybody else. I mean, it is for everybody, but you've got to recognize that it is for you individually. Amen? Now, there are times that God shakes us up. And the purpose of a shaking, I want you to notice that. There's times that he prunes us also. And whenever there's pruning, it seems like, man, there's a loss to something. Something is being cut off, taken away from my life. And so, but let me, let's look at the shaking. What is the purpose of a shaking going on? Jerry Lee Lewis, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. Y'all remember that one, right? Well, some of you do. I remember the first time I heard that song. I was going down Donovan, and there was, where that clock is there in Donovan, Wright's Lumber Company, it was, I was right there, and Jerry Lee Lewis came on. You know, a whole lot of shaking going on. But here, look, look at this. Yet, I got that song mixed up, didn't I? I know. Great Balls of Fire, that's what that was. <laughs> I'm pretty astute when it comes to Elvis. Okay, Hebrews 12, 27. Yet, once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. So that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So whenever there's a quaking going on in your life, and it seems like that everything is going to Hades in a handbasket in a hurry, you got to recognize that God may be shaking you to shake out those things of your life so that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now look at the next verse. Therefore, since we are receiving something, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us have, here's that grace again, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably or accept and receive God so we can serve him. So there's the combination there of things going on. And so whenever there's a shaking because there's a kingdom that God has given, and that's the kingdom of God. You say, Pastor, what is the kingdom of God? It is righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. So this is where you got to, you say, well, Pastor, what is righteousness? I mean, it's a, it's a nice term. It's the ability to make right choices. It's the ability to think right things. It's the ability to do the right thing. Linda's always, her, her mantra to me was, Jerry, just do the right thing. And really what she meant by that was just do what I think is right. Many times it's not. It was what she thought was right was probably right. And I, and I was going... At another direction there. But this message uh, concludes this chapter like this, and I'm going to be reading from, I think it was from the message. 
It says, for God is not an indifferent bystander. He is actively cleaning house and torching all that needs to be burned, and he won't quit until it's all cleansed. Wow. And that's where I was sitting over there at that window yesterday, and I heard a dialogue between a person, and it could be a lot of us, and it could be every one of us at different times in our life, and, I, and between Jesus. And this is the dialogue that I heard. Well, I can't invite Jesus and the Holy Spirit into my home, into my life, because there's too much clutter, there's too many drugs, there's too much junk, there's a whole lot of trash. I can't invite him in. Then Jesus responded, says, he said, if, four things, if you will invite me in, I'll help you clean house. Wow. You don't have to do this by yourself. I remember talking, I've talked to several people, but there's a couple of them that I remember talking to about coming to church. Well, I, I, the church would fall in if I came to church. I said, why is that? I said, well, you don't know. If, once I get my life cleaned up, then I'll come to church. I said, you might as well stay home because you're not going to get clean enough to receive Jesus. As a matter of fact, if Jesus doesn't come into your house and help you clean up the mess you're in, it's not going to get done. It ain't going to happen. So you got to recognize, Jesus said, I'll help you clean house in your life. I'll help you clean your city. I'll help you clean your nation. I will help you straighten out the mess you're in. I will work with you because I am with you at all times and I love you. That's what God says to you. I love you. I want to work with you. And he also said, I am working restoration and rest in your life. I'm working peace and tranquility into your life, the fabric of your emotions. I am working all of that into you. And then in Psalms 24, it said, remember that scripture says, open the gates, open the gates wide, and the king of glory will come in and dismount. He's, and I saw, I saw this in my mind's eye. I, he was riding this stallion, a white stallion, and he comes in, and he comes into your house in your mess and he dismounts and he gets his holy vacuum cleaner out and just starts pulling all the trash out of your life and he sucks all those bad desires out. I saw that. And now that was my imagination. I know you say that and it could be, but I really think it was God showing me this is how much he loves you. He wants to help you clean up the mess you're in. Hallelujah. So you got to recognize he loves you. You say, well, I'm, I'm just not perfect. Well, no one is. Me and Curtis are the only ones here perfect, and I'm worried about him. <laughs> just kidding. And then he says, let me, he continues on. He says, open wide the gates, and the king of glory will come in and dismount and help you clean house and cook meals, and he will dine with you. He will have fellowship with you. He says, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the invitation. I'm waiting for the reception. I'm waiting for the affection. I'm waiting for the recognition. I'm waiting for the honor. And he says, I long to hear your voice. I love to hear, God wants, he loves to hear you talk to him. Into that secret place, he longs to hear your voice and he wants, he said, I love to hear your voice. 
And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will open the door, I will come in and dine and fellowship with him. Then he says a couple of other things. I really like this. And I used to be a collector of antiques. But I don't know, it's sort of just went of our life. We just don't collect them anymore. I guess because I am an antique. But he says, I'm not into the antiquities and problems of the past. I am making all things new, and you are a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, everything is becoming new in your life. So God is wanting to revive and regenerate and make all things new. And he says that, and I don't know if it's Isaiah maybe, behold, I make all things new. And he says, he also went ahead and he said this. He says, um, I'm not into modification of the old. He says, I'm into the transformation of making new creatures, new creations out of you and me. God is making something new. He's not want to modify the old. You know, I had an, an old 1948 Plymouth. It was a six-cylinder split manifold. It sounded like it was the fastest thing in town. But boy, I'll tell you, I'd, wrap, I'd come up and had twin glass packs too on that thing. So it really sounded very fast. But folks, it was the slowest car in town. I'd pull up to the stop sign. Of course, this guy's, but we'd just pop the clutch and make it act like we want to race and race the motor. And we'd take off and here they'd leave me sitting in the dust. But I just want you to know God's not trying to restore a 1948 Plymouth. He's wanting to give you a brand new Cadillac. And whatever I'm talking about, I'm not talking about literal, okay? I'm talking about spiritual. Because someone's going to go away from here thinking, God's going to give me a new Cadillac. Well, it may happen, but I'm not talking in that language right now. It's metaphorically speaking, okay? So he says, I'm, not, I'm really not interested in modification of the old, but in the transformation of making things new for you. A new outlook, a new desire, a new purpose. Now pruning, I'm going to change the subject here just for a second. Pruning is another process that can hurt. I think Matt just cut off a little part of his finger here the other day. His partner cut off the, both of them, fingers. But Matt cut off just the end of it. And so, Matt, there may have been a little pruning going on there. But it does hurt, doesn't it? A little bit, okay. Well, pruning is a, John 15, 2 says, Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you got to recognize that many times you may be bearing fruit. God, I'm doing just fine. And then all of a sudden, whack. He says, I want you to do better. I want you to bear more fruit. So the pruning that takes, the shaking that takes place and the pruning that takes place is not taking place in the physical manner as it was Matt, but it is taking place many times in the emotional realm. And it's taking place in the feeling realm. So every branch that's in me that every branch that bears fruit, and you say, man, I've been doing a good job. I mean, I've been doing this and that and so on and so forth. He said, well, he'll prune you uh, just a little bit so that you can bear more fruit. Now, there's another area called sifting. 
talked about shaking, we talked about pruning, but now sifting is not from God. But this is really an interesting thing. It's another method that's initiated by Satan or some demonic trial or testing so that he can cause you to fall. So this, this sifting in Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. Now, back to Simon. Remember Simon? Simon, this woman accepted me. She honored me. She loved me. She showed affection. And she washed her, my feet with her hair, or with her tears, and she dried them with her hair. And she showed me, that you didn't show me that whenever I came to your house. There was no affection. There was no love. But now Peter, Jesus is talking to Peter again, and he's looking him square in the eye, and he says, Peter, Satan has asked you, asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed something, Simon. Now, whenever Jesus, and he, he, is, he makes intercession for every one of us. So whenever Jesus prays, I want you to know, God always answers, the Father always answers the Son's prayer. Amen? So he says, I pray that your faith, that something like faith, that would strengthen him would not fail because it's by faith Sarah received strength to conceive seed. But I have prayed, Peter, that your faith would not fail. I have prayed that your faith would, and by the way, last week I said our faith is activated by the, uh, this is Philemon 6, I didn't give you this scripture, but it's Philemon 6. Our faith is activated, it's energized by the acknowledgement of every good thing in you in Christ Jesus. That's how you activate your faith, by the acknowledgement of every good thing that's in you that's in Christ Jesus. And it didn't close within you, it's in, in you in Christ Jesus. So it's whatever God's got for us. I have prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. I have prayed that your faith would not be omitted. It would not pass you by. It would not quit. It would not cease. It would not stop working for you. Peter, I have prayed for you. Then the next day, remember, they came to get Jesus and Peter cut off the high priest's ear, Malchus, uh, the servant of the high priest. And uh, Jesus put it back on. He, again, he took the clay and stuck it back on his ear or on his face. Now, this is what I want you to see. <clears throat> After this happened, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I think that Jesus was always questioning Peter, not that he didn't know that Peter loved him, but he's always questioning Peter about love. In this Luke chapter 7, you know, Peter, this woman loved me. She honored me. She respected me. She, she accepted me. She showed affection for me. But remember whenever Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Still questioning Peter's love for him. And he said, Lord, you know that I love you. Go ahead and answer it. Tell him to come to church. <laughs> but he said, he said, and he asked him the second time, Peter, do you really love me? I mean, I'm talking about really love me. He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He asked him the third time, Peter, do you love me? You know, I think some wives and sometimes some husbands, we have to pull for the affection of our spouse. Out of, do you really love me? You know, I told Linda 52 years ago, I love you, honey. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> Not really. I tell her that all the time. But there's a lot of people like that. You know, they never recognize 
God's love, your love for God by saying, and, and Jesus, Peter was with him for three years. And he said, Peter, you love me. Remember, remember that sinful woman? I went to your house, you didn't wash my feet. I went to your house, you didn't kiss me. I went to your house, you, you didn't fix me anything to eat. You know, so many times I think that we get so caught up in trying to be quote unquote Christian that that Christian ease gets in the way of our affection. God, I love you. And then the last time Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Then Peter, then Jesus said to Peter, then feed my sheep. Do something that will prove to me that you love me. But Peter, I have prayed that your faith would not pass you by. It would not quit. It would not cease. It would not stop working for you. Now, go to another place here in Revelations chapter 3. This was talking the church at Sardis. And he says, you're alive, but really you're dead. But I want you to, this is what the word of Jesus came to the church at Sardis. He says, remember how you have received and how have you heard. Now, how do we receive anything from God? It's by faith. By faith, Sarah received strength so she could conceive seed. Also, and he says also, which means by faith, Abraham received strength so that he could produce seed. So you got to recognize that he's working in everybody's life, but he's, he's working in our life for you to receive strength, and you receive that by faith, Sarah received strength. And so, we, so this is how, remember how you have received and hear. Hold fast and repent is what he's saying in, in that, Revelation 3. Now, whenever the Hebrews were down in, in Egypt, 430 years of bondage and slavery and incarceration, they were down there. As a matter of fact, they sort of grew up in that climate, in that, in that environment. And they began to recognize that they were in bondage. And they asked themselves, how did we get here? How did we get here in this bondage situation in Egypt? And it's over a period of time for 430 years, they really began to just succumb to the environment of Egypt. They become amalgamated into that culture and that society. And over time, they forgot their purpose. And over time, they slipped into bondage. But God, then they began to call out for a deliverer, and God heard their prayer and sent Moses to deliver them. But they grew into this bondage by actions and by habits and by establishing a way of life and then also by affecting their destiny. And for 430 years, I don't know how many generations that would be, but for 430 years, generation after generation after generation was affected by this bondage and incarceration and slavery. So what I want you to do today is do about seven things. And I'm, I don't know that you'll remember them unless you write them down. So, uh, but you can remember a few of them. I'll make sure that you remember these ones that are so good. Number one, pray for a different lifestyle. If you don't like where you are, you don't like what you're doing, then begin to pray. Kingdom of God come. Will of God be done in my life? 
Show me what you want me to do. So pray for a different lifestyle and then recognize your responsibility for the present bondage or affliction or addiction. You've got to recognize that. Recognize why you are where you are. Many times that's the, you've, got to, you've got to take responsibility for that. And then hear the words of this message. Don't let it just go in one ear and out the other. And this is why I think every one of you are recognizing that right now you are hearing something that if you will receive what you are hearing, faith comes by hearing. Faith does not come by praying. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. So it, now, then you begin to pray with faith, and this, this is how then we are strengthened by that. So you hear the words of this message because faith comes by hearing. Then start praying for the deliverance or for a change of your lifestyle. Let me just, I want you to notice a couple of things here. When you don't hear, despair and discouragement sets in, and before long, hopelessness will occur in your life. Man, there's no hope but faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. And it's evidence of things not seen. Now when people don't receive, now listen very carefully because this is where I'm saying to you, when people do not receive, they become weak, ineffective, and non-productive. When people do not receive, they become weak. They don't have the, the ability to receive strength, to conceive seed. They become weak, ineffective, and non-productive. And you don't want your life to, you don't want to live life like that. You want to be, and God prunes our life so that we'll be more productive. Then reply to the invitation that Jesus sent out here by a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge that I just shared with you whenever that I received Saturday morning. Reply to the invitation. But more importantly, tune in to the frequency of the Holy Spirit. Tune in to the frequency. Remember whenever I said last week, you can be one degree off of a frequency and you can get a lot of static. But once you get connected with the Word of God and His purpose and His plan for your life, then I want you to know something. And you get connected that and you say, God, I'm going to believe by faith this is going to happen to me in my life. Then, and you receive that Word on the inside of you to as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the power, the privilege to become the sons of God. So receive the invitation and tune in to the frequency. You know, there's a, we live in, on Current River and there's, there's a lot of weeds down there that's in the river. And whenever the current is flowing down there, those, I can tell which way the current's flowing. I know which way the river goes, but I can tell which way the currents flow by the way those Reeds are bending. The, the, the grass or the, the weeds in the, is going in the, in the, in the uh, current. There's a flow of life of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you need to be sensitized to that flow or sensitized to the frequency. You can say it several different ways, but you've got to recognize, this is number six, recognize and honor and above all, receive the presence and the power and the personage of Jesus Christ in your life. Receive that. And once that happens, whenever I was leading my friend to the Lord this past week, yesterday, or Friday rather, there was a profound presence of peace, which I knew 
that was, that was God's way of saying, you know, it's, it's all is well. It's been accepted. I mean, and we normally, have, we normally don't have all that profound presence of peace whenever we have relationships, whenever they come down. There's a, there's a lot of gigging and a lot of just uh, humor and joking around and, uh, you know, backslapping and just, you know, just joking with one another. You know how it is with, with, your, with your friends of long ago. But there was no joking There was no sarcasm. There was just an acceptance. Jesus Christ and his presence. And I'm saying to you, this is what God wants you to do. When you come before him, you accept him and receive him. And then what happens? New ideas and new ways and new possibilities and new powers and new way of responding really happens to you. He was, and because he's making all things new. So he's giving you a different way of looking at stuff. Remember that time I was talking about, I said that peace was like a gyroscope in your life? I mean, you may be out of balance. You may be, I mean, going through a storm, a test, or a trial. You may be going through just so many things in your life, a shaking or a pruning or even a sifting. But I want you to know that peace, and that's the very first thing that Jesus said to them in in John 20. He said, peace unto you guys. Peace. I know you've been through a traumatic time whenever you, you thought I was gone, but now I'm here. Resurrection has occurred. Before I beat up on Peter too much, I want you to, he was one of the first ones at the tomb looking for Jesus. So recognize that, you know, we've all got different ways of showing love and receiving love, but, but Peter was really, I mean, he was first up to, thou art the Christ, Caesarea Philippi. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who God says you are. And God, Jesus said, Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. So I didn't want to beat up on Peter very much, but number seven, you've got to accept and receive the new ways, new possibilities, new power, new way of responding, and new ways of reacting. Folks, I'm telling you, some of you in here need to have a different way of responding and reacting to one another, but especially to God. Because many times God is pruning you and you're thinking there's a sifting going on. He says, God, get me out of this mess. God says, I will when I finish. Let me finish. I'm doing a new thing in your life. Please recognize this, and I close with this. If there's no reception... There's no recognition. There's no desire to get out of the mess you're in. Listen to me carefully. There will be no change. You can rest assured of that. You can take that to the bank. If you are comfortable with where you are, then don't even bother to repeat after what I'm going to ask you to say here or don't even bother to stand up. But if you are serious, say, God, I want to go to another level. I want to see your life from another dimension and another perspective. God says, okay, it's your time. You can receive this if you will. So would everyone just stand with me right now? Now, congregation, I want you to muster up on the inside of yourself as much seriousness as you possibly can. Be serious about what I'm going to ask you to say. 
I'm going to ask you to say this with me. Four things. I acknowledge you, God, in my life. I honor you with my life because you are my God and I love you. I accept you with my whole heart and I receive, I receive the forgiveness of all my sins. And not only that, I forgive all who have sinned against me. Now, if you really meant that, and perhaps if you've said it for the first, that's the first time you've ever said that in your life, then I want you to come to the front. Get out of your chair and just come on down here. Because if the first time you've ever done that, just come on down. It's not the first time you've said it, Patty. Well, I tell you what, you know what? I think it, it is probably the first time we've all said that in that sequence. So why don't we all just come down to the front right now? Musicians, you want to come on up? Just come on down.